Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And Julia, this episode, it's like, it's kind of creeping up behind me, like uh, just out the field of my vision. And it's trying to teach me some kind of moral about how to like stay safe in the world. Ah, ah, It's a boogeyman. It's the boogeyman. Yes, Amanda, this week we are talking about the boogeyman or the bogeyman. But because we're from the U.S., we're probably going to say boogeyman for most of this episode. But when we're talking about the boogeyman or the bogeyman, we are talking about these spirits or monsters whose basically, as you summed up so beautifully, main job is to scare children into good behavior. This is something we have talked about a bunch on the show. One of my favorite examples of this trope so far has been the story Leah Lem relayed at the end of our episode about Paul Bunyan Mm. and all of the indigenous folklore and ways of knowing that she grew up with, all of which are technology to help keep kids safe and impart, you know, important lessons. Yes. And I think that is a very much a global phenomenon. So when we're talking about like using stories to teach lessons to children, that is something that you can find across the world in various different cultures and stuff like that. The interesting part about the the boogies or the bogies is whether it is like being on time or not going places they aren't supposed to go, the boogeyman is designed to like use fear to get children to act a certain way. But what we're talking about today is like it comes in very various names. We're talking about boogeymen. We're talking about nursery bogies, nursery sprites, and even bugbears. Now, these are like mm. very specific to when we're talking about these specific phrases like the boogeyman, the bogies, the nursery sprites, the bugbears. These are very specific to both like England, the British Isles, and North America, specifically the United States. So I am very excited to kind of dig into those specific stories and these figures. But Amanda, when you were growing up, did you have any kind of boogeyman that your parents told you about or used to scare you into good behavior? You know, I don't think I needed any guilt apart from uh, real life consequences for my actions. Mm. Um, The closest we came was a sort of proto elf on the shelf named Bartleby, who watched us between Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, and was evidenced by like a moving, you know, ornament or, you know, thing in the corner of your eye uh, and would report back if you were bad uh, to Santa. Still can't believe that your mom invented the Elf on a Shelf before Elf on the Shelf. Truly wild to me. I saw people manufacturing it. I'm like, how how they know about Barnaby? <laughs> Barnaby, not Bartleby. Bartleby is Melville's uh, short story about anti-capitalist um, uh, protests. Uh, Mena, you also had a fear of your basement steps, if I remember correctly, too, which I think I will become somewhat relevant as we start to tell stories of the various boogies and bogies. Oh, yeah, I didn't even put those two together. But you know what? It is dangerous to walk down the basement steps without a light on. Exactly. So that is good. Yeah, just a, a general of the dark. I, I think like more sort of put together images I saw from pop culture with mm. like my grandma's house had some of those sort of like storage cabinets under the eaves of the roof. So it's like, you know, in like the sloped roof, then the then the sort of like corner of the triangle, that was a storage cabinet mm-hmm. and they were dark and spooky. Uh, and so when I would sleep in the bed right next to those cabinets, I was like, oh, hope nothing happens in there. It would also be dangerous for you as a small child to go into those and potentially get like locked in them or if they're like unfinished, you know, stepping on a, a roofing nail or something like that. So exactly. there is there is like purpose behind these stories that either we were telling ourselves or you know, our parents were telling us or our guardians were telling us. 
Well, maybe we'll unlock some memories as we go through the episode, but I'm excited to learn. Yes. So, Amanda, somewhat unsurprisingly, there are a lot of different types of these creatures with a lot of different names. But for the most part, what our modern understanding of the bogeys are is, like I mentioned before, is like very much a British tradition. So we we tend to divide them into two different categories. There are general scare tactics, which is like, if you don't behave, then you're going to get snatched up by the Naki bow, right? Or it is a response to specific threats, which is like, keep away from the mines or else bloody bones will get you. Oh boy. I mean, yes, kids should not walk around in mines. No one should, arguably. They they shouldn't, for sure. So at the end of the day, though, uh, the bogeys are mainly one thing. They are these creatures that snatch up children and steal them away from their families. Mm. To what end depends on the creature, but a lot of times it's just like, you're going to get it if you don't do the right thing. And it is, yeah, to be taken away from everything you know. Exactly. So many of the stories that we have of bogeys in general seem to, for the most part, have been collected by a British folklorist and writer named Catherine Mary Briggs, who wrote a four-volume dictionary of British folk tales in the English language. Incredible. uh, And in general wrote many books about fairies and folklore and was even the president of the Folklore Society for several years. Right on. Go, Catherine. I love someone's like, hey, Catherine, like, what do you do? She's like, I study the bogeyman. But uh, no, talking about fairy tales in general, that makes sense. But most relevant to us for this episode, if people want to read Catherine Mary Briggs's work, is the Encyclopedia of Fairies, Hobgoblins, Brownies, Bogies, and Other Supernatural Creatures. All right. Not going to lie. If I saw that on the shelf, I would just buy it right away. Sight unseen. No questions asked. Pick it up at your local library. Check it out. It's 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 a good read. So according to Catherine Mary Briggs's Encyclopedia of Fairies, I'm not going to read the whole title, a nursery bogey is, quote, a group of spirits that seem as if they had never been feared by grown-up people, but had been invented expressly to warn children off dangerous ground or from undesirable activities. Some of them were used in threats and others with special function, as to protect fruit and nut trees or to frighten children from dangerous water. All of these, however revolting they might be, no doubt played a useful part in inducing children to be cautious, but no one over the age of 10 would be likely to believe them. They were in a class in themselves. That's so interesting. I mean, now that she says it, of course that's a class of its own. And I'm already thinking, A, because it's very English, but B, because it, it really trades in some of these tropes of roll doll books, mm. uh, which were, you know, aimed at kids. And I think also, you know, played with some of these tropes around, you know, the big fruit, the witches, the, you know, candy that would change your size and all the bad things that could happen if you, you know, kind of followed that invitation to adventure and went off on your own. Yes. And I mean, we're talking about Roald Dahl, like looking at Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, for example, is very much just it's like, if you are rude or bad or do not do the right thing, bad things will happen to you. And it's seen as a good thing, you know, in that regard where it's like, instead of it being a boogeyman, Willy Wonka is very much like this sort of like magical trickster spirit. Uh, mm-hmm. But and we're supposed to like him. But in this case... Now yeah. that I think about it, maybe it's also about uh, reaching above your social class, but I, I can analyze that another time. Yeah. No, I mean, like, the the nice, polite, poor kid ends up winning the, the factory, so I yeah. think it all ends up fine for him. That's true. Amanda, I know we love etymology here on the podcast, so you're probably wondering where we get boogie or bogey from. 
Oh, I am. I'm going to assume it's because kids are really snotty. Just always boogers. Uh, nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> In terms of describing a monster, we get the word from the Middle English buggy or bogey, spelled B-U-G-G-E or B-O-G-G-E. So basically, we can translate that to frightening specter. Hmm. So this is very likely that these words also can be translated to terror or even scarecrow, mm. which at least for me is very fun. Like the idea of a boogeyman who is also a scarecrow is is delightful. <laughs> I, I will say I, I did get jump scared uh, a couple weeks ago in the lead up to Halloween. One of the like florists in our neighborhood set up a little scarecrow and I turned to the corner and was like, I thought that was a person that it's not. <laughs> I was picking up food for uh, myself and Jake, and he had band practice last night, so I was picking up for everyone. And I went to the taco place that we ordered from and then turned around to leave, and there was, like, a big skeleton that was, like, dressed in, like, a sombrero and had a guitar. And I was like, oh, okay, you're not a person. That's fine. (laughs) And then just left and uh, tried not to embarrass myself on the way out. Yeah, as long as no one sees you, it's like it didn't happen. Luckily, there was no one else in the restaurant besides the workers, so at least they got a good laugh of it. But, like, otherwise, I was fine. Yeah, I'm sure they see it 20 times a day. So these words, the buggy or the bogey, this is where we get kind of the iteration of the bogey, which is the bugbear, which comes from the the word buggy and Ah. combines it with bear, but specifically not just like a bear, a demonic form of a bear that supposedly eats children. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that was definitely like a thing in the British Isles at the time was like this idea of like, ooh, a, a bear spirit that would potentially like eat kids. You a know, bear bear, were bear, were bear <laughs> or dire bear, I guess, too. Like yeah, the idea yeah. of like this like bigger than bear bear. Forest creatures of old. I get it. I mean, me now just want to cuddle them. Uh, that, that seems ideal. I'm trying to turn my house slowly into a bear den. But that's just me. You know, like, if, if bears are so bad, then why are their ears shaped like that? They're that's, too cute. That's something I ask myself every time I see that meme. It's like, yeah, mm. w- these are the hard questions. Yeah, like, why would they look so fuzzy and, like, kissable if I, I can't get that close to a bear? Seriously. It's not fair. Not fair. It's not fair. <sighs> so we also get the word uh, bugaboo, which has similar meanings to both bogey and bugbear, which kind of arises as a alternative version to the bugbear. But all in all, from their early usage, they in general have meant an object of dread of some kind. Like they have always come from a word that means like this thing's bad. That's so interesting, Julia, because I, you know, love our etymology here, lover of words. I will often hear people describe things like, oh, that's a real bugbear. Like that's really just kind of like sticking in my craw. It's really like on my mind. And now that you say it, like it makes all the sense in the world that the answer is, oh, it's like a something that causes you anxiety, something you dread, something you don't want to deal with. Uh, and that makes that phrase make so much more sense to me. Isn't language wild? Isn't it so cool? Language is so fun. So we, Amanda, in general, used uh, bogey, nursery bogey, and that kind of thing. Before we started using the idea of the bogeyman or the boogeyman for our United States listeners, it is this kind of like natural next step 
once individual bogies in general started merging together and then melding into this single, more general, uniform entity. So this change probably happened around mostly the early 20th century as a lot more of these like generalized bogies begin to be rolled into the boogeyman as we understand him. And this sort of general boogeyman is often a monstrous male figure, usually with sharp claws, sometimes sharp teeth, as well. And like his predecessors, who we'll talk about in a little bit, he carries children away, sometimes in a bag, sometimes not. Hmm. Interesting. Let's talk about some of these predecessors because we can kind of see where the individual bits of this bogeyman or boogeyman come from. Uh, And as we go through these, Amanda, I want you to rate them out of five in two categories, if you will. Okay. First, how successful you think this bogey is at keeping children from doing the thing that they're being warned about. Great. And then number two, how likely you were to be scared of this bogey if you were a child that was being told this story. Okay. Okay. So kids generally and then Amanda the child. I can do that. So let's start first with perhaps one of the oldest British named bogeys that we have on record. And that is Jenny Greenteeth. Jenny Greenteeth? Yes. Is she going to make your teeth green? That's a great question, Amanda. The answer is kinda. Okay, let's go. So there are a couple of different versions of Jenny Green Teeth with different names. Also was sometimes referred to as the Grindylo, which you might recognize. Oh, and also sure. Nell Longarms. Nell Long? Okay. Are you making this up, Julia? Because this sounds like some English country shit. It is. It is. I am not making it up. It is just English country shit. (laughs) In general, Jenny Greenteeth is used to keep children away from bodies of water where they might drown, often specifically ponds. Julia, I didn't need the bogeyman because I had my Uncle Martin drowned in a well. But before Uncle Martin drowned in a well, he probably heard a story and then did not respond to it about someone like Jenny Greenteeth. It's true. That's true. Mainly, Jenny Greenteeth derived from Lancashire, Cheshire, and Shropshire. And the story would go that children were told that if they went near pools of water, the water spirit of Jenny, or sometimes Ginny Greenteeth, would catch them. And not only was she found in the waters, Amanda, ready to snatch up unexpecting children, but she was also said to lurk in the treetops around ponds and that her moans could be heard at night from the treetops. Okay, because a, you know, we we love a water spirit. All right. That's why we made a color changing water spirit mug, by the way, that you can buy. We do have it. Uh, Spiritspodcast.com slash merch. Um, But uh, someone lurking in the water. All right, we get it. But I love this technology as a way to be like, not like I, I could see a kid standing, you know, two feet away from the water being like, hmm, 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 I'm not in the water. She can reach me here. But you can still slip and fall. Like mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's a radius of danger that children trying to follow the letter of the law may not recognize. So I love that she could drop down from the treetop too. Amanda, you're like totally right. And I think it's going to become clear as to why not only the like tempting fate of children is like something that is very much addressed in this story. Okay. So according to folklorist Charlotte Byrne, Jenny Greenteeth was, quote, an old woman who lurks beneath the green weeds that cover stagnant ponds. And children were warned that if they ventured too near such places, she will stretch out her long arms and drag them to her. 
Oh, no. Hence Nellie Longarms. Hence Nellie Longarms. Hence the idea of like, oh, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not in the pond. You're like, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, small child. Close enough. And I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this, too. But, you know, society finds uh, old people out of a domestic space, especially in like outside the sort of like safe confines of younger family. Right. Like we we other the elderly in a lot of ways and especially old women, especially old women without kids. Like there's a reason that the witch trope is what it is. I am going to just say, like, that's there. However, and also, sounds fucking awesome. This sounds great. Sounds sick as hell. (laughs) So she was also described as, quote, having pale green skin, green teeth, very long green locks of hair, long green fingers with long nails, and she was very thin with a pointed chin and very big eyes. Wow. Uh, Do you know the Green Lady of Brooklyn, Julia? I don't know the Green Lady of Brooklyn. If you want to go ahead and pull her up right now, uh, she's a lovely old lady who lives in Brooklyn, wears only lime green and her entire house. Oh, lime green. yes. I've seen her. I love her. Elizabeth Sweetheart is her name. Yep. Uh, she's a real sweetie and her husband wears mostly but not only green. And we love her. Uh, she's the modern day Jenny Greenteeth, Jenny Greenteeth without uh, the child killing, probably. Kid snatching, munching, I can't. I can't speak to her. I, I assume she's a sweet old lady, but I'm not going to get milkshake duck by this old lady. <laughs> Uh, There are other stories. I love these descriptions, but there are other stories that say that she has no form at all because she is never seen above the surface of a pond, which is like definitely scarier in some ways. Yes. Yeah. No, the the creature that only your mind's eye can kind of conjure the form is, is scary for sure. And then, Amanda, because you asked if she would give you green teeth, not only was she used to have children avoid areas where they could drown, she was also used to promote good hygiene because in Yay! some stories, it was said that if a child did not keep their teeth clean, they might be dragged into one of the ponds by Jenny Greenteeth, which also makes sense given her name. That is truly incredible. Uh, once again, me as a child, uh, I did not need to be scared by Jenny because my parents just told me, you the only teeth you get. More don't grow. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, that's the best I stuff. I mean, that's only true after your baby teeth fall out. So, like. after, yeah. So as the, as the real ones came in, they're like, take good care of that because uh, you don't get to replace them. And I'm like, holy shit. What? I mean, you can, but not with real teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting because I, her name in general and her description associates her with basically like the thick algae and duckweed that covers stagnant bodies of water. Yes. And, quote, the horror consisted in the way that this weed would close over anything that fell into it. So, again, we're, we're kind of talking about this like being like, yeah, she's in the trees. Yes, she has long arms. And like you don't have to necessarily go into the pond to like be got by her. And I think a big portion of that is because a lot of these stagnant ponds are covered in this like algae or duckweed that looks as though it's like continuation of grass. Totally. And like the continuation of the shore, but in fact is like easy for a child to think that it's grass and then stumble into the pond and drown. I think you're totally right. That is, you know, this is not like a clearly demarcated swimming hole that you can just like jump into from the green lawn and Mm -hmm. you know you're in the pond. Like falling, being unexpected, not knowing where the grass is uh, and where the, you know, the ground starts and the water starts. Like there is a permeable boundary uh, covered in reeds and weeds, just like you're saying. So I think this is a highly technologically advanced myth. 
How do we feel on the rating for Jenny Greenteeth? Yeah, this is going to be a five out of five. I, I love the utility. I love the image of her. I love the idea that I can look at myself a little sideways on my little teethies in the mirror and be like, oh, no, plaque. Ah, and then like yeah. really get committed to uh, brushing my teeth. I will say that this probably wouldn't have scared me. My mom was a lifeguard and raised us mm. all to be pretty fearless swimmers. And like I said, I, I already have the inbuilt family uh, desire not to be another McLaughlin what died in a well. So I'm going to say this this would have scared me like a like a two out of five uh, just for the just for the teeth. It was a well. Yeah. What? Wells. All right. Ponds. All kinds of things. Ponds make sense to me. Well, I'm like, you fell in there and that's that's about it, right? If someone digs it and then they take away the stones and then it's like oh. semi-covered. An abandoned well. That's a different mm-hmm. story for sure. Mm-hmm. I think Jenny Greenteeth is perhaps the most like logical one that we're going to talk about in this episode. And like, you know, makes sense to have someone be like, don't go near that water. This this thing will get you, right? But there are a lot of other ones that are just like general, like don't go out at night or mm-hmm. listen to your parents kind of thing. And we're going to get into those now. And I kind of tell you, Julia, before today, I really thought that those were limited to like post-1980s kidnapper scare tactics. Because like growing up, those were the stories, right? But like, of course, it predates the 80s. Of course. So we're also going to talk about the Hubia, which mainly targeted children who did not heed their parents or were like generally unaware of their surroundings, okay. which sounds like a, a recipe for anxiety for me, at least. But I'm tagged in this photo and I don't like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the Hubia are these kind of like terrifying cannibal spirits that trap children and then carry them away in a sack to be devoured. Oh, great. OK. Mm-hmm. The Hubia fortunately for most children, is afraid of black dogs because of an English story where the Hubias attempted to eat up a man, a woman, and their daughter, but the dog managed to scare them away every night that they would come for the kid, right? However, the man didn't know that the Hubias were trying to get them, but the dog did. And he became frustrated with the dog's constant barking, no. not realizing it was keeping the the evil spirits at bay, and so kicks the dog out. No. Oh, that good puppy's trying to save you. It's sad. Yes. There, there is a darker version where he, like, cuts up the dog, too. But we're, sure, we're not sure. going to talk about that. No. So the Hubias then, in the night, steal the little girl away to their lair in the sack that they, they use. Always a sack with these people. It's always a sack. But the man manages to hear her cries while the Hubias are sleeping, steals her back, replaces the daughter in the bag with the dog while the Hubias are sleeping. And then when they wake up and want to go eat the little girl, the dog jumps out and devours all the Hubias. Hell yeah. It's a very, like, classic English, like, folktale about spirits that humans manage to trick. Despite being tricked themselves the first round. Exactly. But in general, like the Hubias are very much like cannibal spirits that steal away children in the night. That's it. That's like that's the basic premise that's there. And they're scared of dogs. So if you have a dog, you're all set. I do like the implication that uh, creatures are smarter than us. And only by collaborating with the creatures and like nearly dying can humans kind of catch up. How do we feel about the Hoobias? Like, not a big description. They're a little, like, vague, very, like, general boogeyman-ish, except for the fear of dogs. But, like, how would you feel hearing that story as a child? 
Yeah. Uh, for me, that would have been like a four out of five effectiveness because mm-hmm. hearing dogs barking, I'd be like, oh, like, is that is that what they're trying to warn me against? And because I was very allergic to dogs, and not allowed to be around them. I, I like idolized them and wanted to be around them so bad. So that's a four out of five. I think the general scare tactic, I'm going to go like a two out of five. It's sort mm-hmm. of lurking in the background. I find it effective when there is something really specific to grab onto. So I'd say a little more effective for young me than average. I think it's also interesting if we're talking about like the effectiveness of it and the fact that the Hoovias like steal away in general like children that aren't paying too much attention. The idea of like if your dog is acting weird, you should pay attention to that, I think is a good general like statement or piece of advice. That's very true. It might be carbon monoxide. Could be. Could be. You never know. Get a detector. You should. You should have a detector in your house. Please, please, please. (laughs) You should unplug your toaster when you're not home and you should get a carbon monoxide detector. Uh, That's just common sense. And I think they have like five-year life cycles. So if you are like living in an apartment and you don't know when that was put in, maybe change it out. I don't know. Just a suggestion. It's like 15 bucks at the hardware store. You can do it. If you go to the hardware store, they sell the 10-year like carbon monoxide and fire alarms that you should put up in your household. It's the combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell of personal safety. It is. It is indeed. All right, Amanda. So children in general are afraid of the dark, right? But if they weren't, parents might warn them not to go out after dark because they might get stolen away by Black Annis, also known as Black Anna, Black Agnes, Black Annie, and Cat Anna. Uh, Surprised at the number of women so far. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of ladies in the situation. I guess I just sort of assumed this, like, male kidnapper uh, would be the the main thing here. But, you know, the English do love to make old ladies the butt of sort of jokes and stories. I will say also, like, if you're thinking about the period of time where we start kind of seeing bogeys written down, if not, like, it predating that, but this is the first, like, written records we're getting of it, a lot of these start in the mid-1500s. So, mm. again, this is a period, as we talked about in our Black Cat episode, where it's very much, like, witchcraft is the devil, focused mm-hmm. on that kind of stuff. So there is a lot of women being singled out for being witches and whatnot. So, like, this is a period of time where we're, like, in particular targeting women for not fitting expectations. So it does make sense that a lot of these are female spirits or female monsters. Good point, good point. And that does change over time, as we talked about, kind of like the boogeyman becomes more of a male figure. But these early ones, a lot of ladies. All right. So Black Annis is said to be in the Dane Hills of Leicestershire. According to our girl Catherine Briggs, she is, quote, a cannibal hag with a blue face and iron claws. She dwells in a cave and wears a skirt sewn from the skins of her human prey. Oh, damn. I'm not sure what kind of leather human skin makes, but it seems like there are easier ways. Human leather, baby. Oh, boy. There was a great oak at the mouth of the cave in which she was said to leap out, catch, and devour stray children and lambs. The cave was supposed to have been dug out of the rock by her own nails. Oh. All right. The the claws I get, old mm. people's hands look very different to my child hands, even though one day, you know, my lifespan being long, they'll turn into those. So that I get. Nails get gnarled over time. Okay. How did her face get blue? That's my main question. Who can say? It's, it's probably just the same way that uh, Jenny Greenteeth got those green teeth. Just monsters. But the green teeth, there's chlorophyll. That I understand. That's true. That's and fair. And in algae water. Maybe mold grows. Maybe a, a tanning byproduct of the human skin skirt. That's my guess. Or maybe she spends so much time in cave, so pale. Oh, it like reflects blue. Skin looks blue. I see. All right. 
Uh, and as I mentioned, she doesn't just steal children, but also livestock. So if a shepherd was to lose a sheep or a lamb, he might blame Black Annis for stealing it away in the night. That's fair. Certainly not any of the natural predators of lambs uh, that live in England, but this is much better than being like, sorry, boss, I lost one. That's, you know what? Uh, I walked past that big oak tree by the mouth of that cave. I fucked up. That's on me. That's on me. Mm -hmm. There are also, Amanda, you're going to get a kick out of this one, a variety of bogeys that are specifically warning children about eating things that they find in the wild or that they shouldn't. Oh, good. Yes, this is excellent. A lot of nursery rhymes I grew up with about what leaves are safe and what berries are safe. So I'm stoked to hear the English versions of this. Well, Amanda, let me tell you about Melsh Dick, uh? who, for example, warns children about eating unsanctioned nuts. <sighs> England loves to use the word dick simply to mean Richard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Is this intentional? Yeah, uh, so I don't know, but Unsanctioned Nuts does remind me of a Chuck Tingle novel. So now I'm just going to be thinking about that for mm -hmm. the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Now, Melch Dick is, quote, the wood demon. Sure, sure. No, this has to be intentional. Okay. Who protects the unripe nuts from children in the West Riding of Yorkshire. If you are a farmer or uh, cultivate trees, I understand that they are valuable and you want to make sure they, they ripen all the way. I don't know what kids are walking around like excitedly scouring trees for nuts, but maybe that's just me growing up in a post-industrialized capitalist society where I could have like, I don't know, peppermint patties instead of unripe walnuts or something. Well, you know, the thing is too, Amanda, like I, I was a child that loved wandering through the woods yes. and if i saw like berries that i knew were safe which we'll get to um i i would eat those yeah. berries you know but that's, but, that's like sweet. you know those are in the woods yeah you know i don't know and easy to eat but like i feel like you know if you bring like a bunch of nuts home and you roast them on the fire you crack them open like that's a good time okay. i, get I it. mean it's nutritious certainly okay all right sorry i'm i'm getting i'm getting all mixed up in the practicalities of this nut demon well Amanda, Melch Dick is not the only nut demon out there. Tough. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> <laughs> you said Melch Dick three it's times so and that just broke I you. Know. And now I've summoned him. <laughs> so through most of the North Country is a female spirit who's called Churn Milk Peg. Churn Milk Peg! Yes. And she is the one who in the North Country protects the unripe uh, nuts from children. Churn milk. So, okay, so I mean, these are all like shortened servant names. Also, Peg and Jenny, things like that. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of a lot of class differences here. D does she like protect the milk from going bad and like from the butter from curdling and stuff like that? Oh no, it's it's just nuts. Just nuts. Just nuts, baby. Yeah. Damn. I mean, listen, highly nutritious. Like th those are the most like calories per ounce that you can get. Totally understand. Important crop, probably expensive. So I, I will say it notes here that the importance of nut thickets in early rural economy may be judged by the number of supernatural beliefs surrounding them, such as the appearance of the devil to Sunday nut gatherers and the fertility values ascribed to nuts. Amanda, how do you feel about Melchdick? I'm too shaken by these names. Uh, no, I, I think this is incredibly funny. I love agriculture and agricultural economics. Agronomics, actually, they're called. I am very excited and uh, going to give all of these mm -hmm. a five out of five. Uh, minus one to Melchdick for making Julia say that phrase uh, and now me so many times. Now, similarly to Melchdick and Charn Milk Peg is the Gooseberry Wife. Oh, okay. So she is specifically known on the Isle of Wight. Yes. And takes the form of, get ready for this, 
an enormous hairy caterpillar oh. who guards the gooseberry bushes from children who might eat them without permission. Oh, love mm. her. Whose wife is the she? The wife of the gooseberries. Wow, so cute. I love a big caterpillar. I find the gooseberry wife interesting because if I saw a giant hairy caterpillar, I think I would be terrified of that. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of a small caterpillar, great. Uh, idea of like a dog-sized caterpillar, kind of still somewhat cute. Somewhat you know? cute. That's but like great. a giant one, like elephant size, perhaps. Very scary. So much mass. Those those hairs so big. Undulating as it moves across the, like with all of its tiny, like not Mm-mm. feet. Absolutely not. I'm not a fan. I don't like that. Um, I do like gooseberries and I do appreciate uh, something is needed to stop the children from taking them all. Yeah, those children, they want those gooseberries and I do not blame them. Mm-mm. Finally, in the same vein of protecting uh, food from children in the wild is Lazy Lawrence, who is the guardian of the orchard in Hampshire and Somerset. Okay. Sometimes he takes the form of a man, uh, afflicting thieves with cramped feet and tripping when they try to flee the orchard. Sure. But in other versions, he takes the form of a horse, specifically a colt, and chases thieves out before they can take anything. Why is he lazy then? I don't know, because he does a lot of chasing. So I was going to say, he's not like falling asleep on the job and you can sneak past him to go take fruit. It, well, that might be one of the case. I don't have that in my notes or anything like that. Maybe Lazy Lawrence is not particularly good at guarding the orchards, but there is a threat of like either cramped feet, twisted ankles, or being chased by a horse. Yeah, or maybe maybe he's like lazy until you piss him off, you know, or like lazy by constitution, but he will like do his job if you make him. Big Sam, big Sam. <laughs> now, we've got a couple more bogeys to talk about, but before we get to them, Amanda, I am gonna need a refill. Let's do it. Hey, everybody, it's Amanda, and welcome to The Refill. Welcome especially to our newest patrons, Hadley and Mila. We're so happy you're here. We really, really appreciate that you choose to support this podcast with your dollars every month. And thank you, too, to supporting producer-level patrons, Alicia Ann, Ginger Spurs Boy, Hannah, Jack Marie, Jane, Nieselkins, Lily, Matthew, Nathan, Phil Fresh, Rico Like, Captain Jonathan, Malachi Cosmos, Sarah, and Scott, and those legend-level patrons, Ariana, Audra, Bex, Morgan H., Sarah, and BM Me Up Scotty. Now, folks, this is getting into the end of the year. We know it's still spooky season in our hearts, okay? But it is deal season for the rest of the internet. And I want to let you know that this week, the week of November 13th, our merch is on sale. Plus, our merch provider is offering free shipping for everything over 50 bucks in the U.S. And they have fairly affordable international shipping for those non-U.S. folks as well. So go on over, check it out. If you haven't gotten our color-changing water spirit mug or any of the other incredible merch we have made recently, including bath bombs. Listen, if you want more bath bombs, you got to buy these bath bombs and tell us you want them. It's at spiritspodcast.com slash merch. Now, we usually recommend a piece of media for you to check out uh, here in the middle, but sometimes it's a, a habit. Sometimes it's a feeling. Julie talked about audiobooks and other kinds of incredible stuff. And this week, I want to recommend that you start the tradition you want to see in the world. Okay, my family's gone through a lot of changes over the last few years, and our traditions have kind of fallen away as people have moved and gotten sick and gotten older and houses have been sold. 
And I am making with my husband the traditions we want to see in the world. We have our, I think, fourth annual Friendsgiving. We are making the Thanksgiving traditions here um, that we want to have and figuring out what holidays mean for us, what traditions mean for us. And whether it's something as small as uh, going to, you know, services, going to yoga, having a certain Saturday or Sunday morning routine on your own or doing it with someone, saying to your friend group, you know what, guys, we are going to do a gift exchange this year. You know what, y'all? We're going to do a, a, a cookie swap party, whatever it might be, whatever you wish someone would make that you wish you could attend, try it. I know it's vulnerable. I know it's scary. I know that I'm going to be wondering if anyone will come (laughs) to my Friendsgiving until we have it. Uh, They're going to come. Don't worry. I think that it's worth doing. And if you do, and if you want to chat about it, hit me up at Cheese So Mickey. Lots going on here at Multitude, as always. There's so much cooking. I I can't wait to tell you all about it. But for now, I'm going to tell you about Tell me about it. This is a game show proving that the things you like are actually interesting. Hosted by my husband, Eric Silver, and Adel Rafai from Hello from the Magic Tavern and Hey Riddle Riddle. It's excellent. Adel plays an eccentric billionaire who forces guests to come on the podcast and prove that their favorite thing is interesting and cool. I went on. Julia went on. It's been an awesome time. And Eric puts together games and challenges so that people can kind of prove that their thing is really, really cool. There have been excellent guests like Janet Varney, Jenna Steber, Jeffrey Craner, Matt Young, me and Julia, other faces and voices from Multitude, and more. So check it out. Tell me about it. It's the most fun podcast run by a multi-billionaire. And that, I can promise you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, I know we're talking about the end of the year traditions and especially changing traditions and comparing them to how they used to be or how I wish they were tends to put me in in my head a lot. And that's something that I kind of struggle with. And I'm doing a bunch of things like yoga and meditation and, you know, making routines and reminding myself to get back in my body and things like that to ground me from getting lost in my thoughts. But therapy is a really big way that I deal with that. And if you right now can't access therapy in person safely or affordably, if you're thinking about starting therapy, if you are looking for a solution in between seeing other therapists, I really think that BetterHelp is a great tool for you to know about. This is where you can get therapy entirely online, convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do to start talking with somebody is fill out a brief questionnaire, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. If this is something that will be helpful to you and you want to find your bright spot this season, try BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash spirits today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash spirits. Guys, I had the best day yesterday because my sister visited from Hawaii where she has lived for the last five or six years and she brought my nephew, Coda. Uh, this is not a person. Coda is a pit bull. And I'm obsessed with him. I love him. He saw me and was so excited and yelped. He recognizes my voice from FaceTime. And I got to pet him and hang out with him and chill with him. He had a big sweater on because he is a dog from Hawaii and doesn't know what this whole New York winter thing is all about. It was genuinely one of the best afternoons I can remember in a long time. I uh, love his little face. I love his little nose. I love his little paws. He's the absolute best. And I really, really appreciate that I know that if anything were to happen to him, he knows and Bailey knows, his mom, that he can rest a little easier. She has embraced pet insurance, which means that she doesn't have to 
have that thing in her mind of like, oh, my God, like, you know, what can I afford? Where should I go? Blah, blah, blah. She gets to just realize that if Coda needs anything, she doesn't have to wait for the unexpected to happen. She can join, like you can, the massive community of pet owners who trust Embrace Pet Insurance to protect their pet. Head to EmbracePetInsurance.com slash spirits and sign up for pet insurance today. Make sure you go to EmbracePetInsurance.com slash spirits or else they won't know I sent you. That's embracepetinsurance.com slash spirits. And check out my Instagram for photos of Coda. Okay, he's the best. And finally, we are sponsored this week by Ravensburger. Now, I told you about hanging out with Coda yesterday. Not only did I hang out with Coda, I sent Bailey back to our grandma's house with a bunch of Ravensburger puzzles for my grandma to try. Now, uh, she is awesome. I love her a lot. And she loves 300-piece puzzles for when she wants to do a quick one in the afternoon. She loves 500-piece puzzles for when she wants a little project she can come to over a couple of days. And sometimes she will do what she describes as, quote, a real pisser, which is a 1,000-piece puzzle, which she'll put on her puzzle table and work on over the course of a week. I love it. I love that she sends me little photo updates. I love that we can commiserate about which ones were challenging and which ones were easy. And she and I both really appreciate the quality and color and beauty and detail that is in Ravensburger Jigsaw Puzzles. This is a huge part of my family tradition, one I'm carrying on as I, you know, start my own traditions. I bring puzzles down to my mother-in-law at Thanksgiving. It's a ton of fun. And I am truly so happy that I get to talk about Jigsaw Puzzles in these episodes with you. So go ahead and check out Ravensburger on Amazon in your local craft or hobby store or anywhere that sells puzzles today, okay? You're going to find it. You're going to like it. Ravensburger. And now let's get back to the show. So Amanda, I went for this episode for a cocktail that I really love because it is so vibrant yet so delicious. And a lot of times bright cocktails make people nervous because in general they think it means it's too sweet or it's like artificially flavored or whatever. But I think this one is super yummy because part of the reason I really like Midori in my cocktails. I know that might be like a hot take, but I think Midori is a really good like not main Liquor, certainly, mm -hmm. but a good, like, flavor and additional booze to add to your cocktails. You're allowed. I know. I know. Like, this is how I, like, came out in favor of blue curacao. I think it's just fun to have blue drinks. And curacao is, like, not terrible necessarily. It's the same as, like, triple sec or regular curacao. So, like, why not use it? Why not make more things blue? That's my question. You're an adult. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. And now I'm saying, hey, why not make more things melon flavored and also bright green? Mm -hmm. So for this cocktail, which I'm calling the boogeyman... Gotta be. Uh, it is gin, Midori, some lemon juice and honey, and of course, a little bit of egg white for a nice froth. Like the best part about adding egg white to a cocktail is how frothy and like delicious it turns out. And hey, if you're vegan, don't worry. You can use aquafaba as an alternative for the froth if you can't use egg whites uh, and it doesn't add too much flavor to it and it doesn't get that like kind of sometimes like using egg whites in cocktails makes the cocktail have a little bit of like a musty smell mm. almost and aquafaba kind of avoids that so if you're like a little icked out by the idea of egg whites in your cocktail aquafaba baby give it a go that's just chickpea juice it's a seriously helpful ingredient for vegan bakers it's incredible now amanda yes 
with the boogeyman cocktails in hand. I am going to have us play a little game. Ooh, let's do it. So, Manny, you've been learning about various different types of bogeys and other spirits, but I want you to come up with some of your own. I can do this. All right. Old woman plus color equals bogeyman. So I'm ready. Or man plus sack plus other thing equals bogeyman. We know the uh, the calculation. We know the equation now. So you, I can you do got this. this. So I am going to give you a thing that you want children not to do because it's dangerous to them yep. or just annoying in general. Mm -hmm. And I want you to, just off the dome, come up with a scary monster that will stop those children from doing that thing. Let's do it. Number one, touching a hot stove. Well, Julia, of course, you don't want to get visited by Orange Olga, who Ooh. is a miniature fox that lives in your walls. And when you come too close to the stove that powers her den, keeps her little den at the back of the stove all warm, uh, she will jump out from behind the stove and bite you. I love Orange Olga. I want her to live in my house. <laughs> right? I, I invite her like, in. Hey, that girl, sounds great. We'll, we'll make some tea. You know, it's all good. I know not to touch the stove, but we'll, yeah. we'll both be happy and you can enjoy a nice cup of tea with me. Maybe maybe instead of a fox, I just I liked the orange. I was the first animal that come to mind. It could be a salamander, uh, like a, a cool like lizard that loves the heat. Like a mythical salamander. Yeah, like a mythical fire breathing one. Maybe the salamander keeps the stove lit, the oven lit, like is the pilot light. So I, I think I'll land okay. there. I think I'll land on um on Orange Olga is the she, salamander. like lizard size or is she like full human size or somewhere in the middle no i think she's lizard size but if you piss her off she will grow Ooh, love orange olga moving on to our next one climbing trees manda how do we stop these children from climbing trees climbing trees okay i am going to say that there is a invisible giant named gregorith <laughs> I'm just doing the Game of Thrones thing where you take a normal name and then it had, it had a weird syllable on the end. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And uh, he lives uh, at the top of a hill nearby. And if you climb trees and start disturbing his view, because his view is of the treetops and higher, um, he will squish you with his big thumb. Ooh, I like that. I thought you were going to go with he will pick you up and flick you across the field. <laughs> That's good, too. But I, I like the idea of him being like, Mer, like, no. And I think having a thumb come down from on high and squish you would scare me as a child. I love that. It's like Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Uh, love Gregorith. How about number three, which is playing in the street? How do we stop those kids from playing in the street? <sighs> playing in the street. More modern one, definitely. Yeah. I think where I'm going with this one is like some kind of, there's some kind of like pact or detente where Children are allowed to play on the sidewalk and on that strip of grass. But once you step into the street, then you're in the domain of like, I don't know, Stephen, the city planner. Um, and Stephen can take you down into the sewers where his army of albino alligators, that's a real New York City myth, will eat you up. If you step foot into the street, uh, he will suck you into the sewer and you'll never be on the kind of right side of the earth again. That's just Jake if he was a, a boogeyman, and I love that for him. I want him to have a, a army of albino alligators. Right? I can see like a little Ninja Turtles crossover event, but that would be too fun, and we need to keep this, you know, serious. Have to keep it scary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. How about number four, which is sneaking out of the house? A real, like, preteen or teen one, for yeah. sure. But don't sneak out of the house because 
I think this has got to be a shifter in owl form, who the minute you open a window or door, and if you live in a place where screened windows and doors are common, if you open the screen and somewhere if that doesn't exist for you, such as in England, if you just open it too big that a kid could get out, not a good thing to do, but also to sneak out, then the owl will sneak into your home and steal the breath of all your siblings and parents. <gasps> Ooh, I thought you were going to say, and then replace you. That's even better. And then you have no home to come back to. Oh, yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah. Like, no, our, our owl child is in their bed right now. Yeah, much better, much better. Or iterating off of that further and yeah. combining our two things, squish them together. Owl comes in, steals uh-huh. the breath slash memories of you from your siblings <gasps> and parents. So when you return home, they're like, you're a stranger. Get out of our house. Julia, that's fucked up. Parentheses. Appreciative. Thank you. Yes, that's the one. Um, and the name of this creature is, I think... This one I'm going to have to go not a not a proper name but like a a moniker. This is the ooh, oh yellow eyes. <laughs> right? No, I I'm thinking like yeah, the 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 eraser, you know, the like soul stealer, the um, you know, the legacy remover, something ooh. like these all sound like a like a mechanical uh invention. Also but. cleaning products. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, let's let's go with like Br- breathtaker. Or breath ta- Ooh, breathtaker? I don't know. Maybe. Breathtaker is really good. I was thinking the Neverborn. Ooh, fuck it, yeah. Amanda, right? nailed it. It's like you were never born. Like you were it's never like you born. were never born. The Neverborn will get in. It's a real Marty McFly situation. It's like you were never born. Uh-huh. All right. That one was fucking tight. I love that one so much. <laughs> All right. And then finally, Amanda, how do we stop these kids from exploring abandoned buildings? Oh, Julia, the real life legacy of the U.S. police. That's that's good. Mm-hmm. But no, secondly, I think this has got to be a um, a groundskeeper and his hellhound, which are actually one creature. Fuck yeah. And it's just, you know, a kind of like one mind, two bodies and either Willie the groundskeeper or the hound will come after you. Amanda, can I yes end this? Always. They seem like there are two creatures and the groundskeeper has the hellhound on a leash. But yeah. body body horror tr- trigger warning. It's like the leash is flesh. The leash is flesh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Amazing. We're so these are great. The, I like that they went from like kind of cute to extremely. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. And I think you think that his name is Willie and the hound, but it's really Willie the hound. Willie the hound. And I think the hound is the brain and the and the flesh suit is just like a puppet. Oh fuck yeah. That's cool as yeah. shit. Ugh. All right. I like I almost don't even want to talk about the rest of the bogeys because I'm like I just want to like create a universe where those exist, but we have to continue. We have to continue on. So we've mainly talked about uh, British and North American bogeys, but this French one was uh, too good for me not to mention, Amanda. Great. So this is the Kamakrusa, which is a disembodied leg. Sometimes described as being slightly flayed. Oh, no. And it is capable of very rapid movement, hides behind hay bales, and can chase children over ditches and hedges to run down its prey. Oh, God. I don't like that at all. Well, Amanda, if you want to avoid it, you shouldn't remain outside after dark. I won't. You will be devoured by the Kamakrusa. Though how it manages to devour them is not specified since it it's just a leg. I was going to say, uh, where's the mouth? And I would posit that the worst place 
bottom of the foot. I I think it's like halfway up the leg part and it like or where the kneecap is perhaps in the knee and then it opens yeah. up and it goes yeah in the knee is good like one of those tattoos where like when you open your leg it looks different yeah, yeah that's that's fucked up and i love it uh it doesn't yeah, specify where the mouth or lack of mouth is so i don't know you know that's okay we weren't around to ask these questions when this myth was first recorded so So lastly, of course, we have to talk about one of the most memorable ones, one that we have talked about firsthand on the show, and that is Bloody Bones and Rawhead. Bloody Bones, of course, course. our good old friend. So in general, these two figures are generally warning against misbehavior, but it's also used to keep children from wandering towards dangerous places, staying out past dark, and a new-to-me one, which is listening at keyholes. Oh, nosy little children. Mm -hmm. I see. For those of you who haven't heard of Bloody Bones and Rawhead or don't remember the story, this is a boogeyman figure from England and North America. It was first written about in 1548, though it is safe to say that it predates that time. Uh, Known as Bloody Bones, Rawhead, Tommy Rawhead, or Rawhead and Bloody Bones hyphenated altogether. This (laughs) was a figure that was used, quote, to awe children and keep them in subjection, according to the father of liberalism, John Locke. Oh, I didn't know John Locke commented on not economics. Yes, he did. And he was like, and also we shouldn't subject children this way. I mean, yes, he he also talked about, like, uh, preparing children to be, like, uh, you know, citizens of capitalism. So, like, I I, I get it. I get it. Uh, So, though it originated in England, it spread to North America. Most commonly, it is retold in the southern United States. And I will, I'll start us off with an old nursery rhyme about the two, which is, Raw head and bloody bones steals naughty children from their homes, takes them to his dirty den, and they are never seen again. Oh, no, not a dirty den. Speaking of that dirty den and speaking of the kind of keyhole thing that was new to me, Rawhead and Bloody Bones tend to have layers in dark and forgotten corners of houses, apparently, especially the unoccupied space beneath the stairs. Amanda, I am so sorry to childhood you. Yes, yes. No, getting that hand through the unfinished stairs, that's that's bad. So if a child were to peer between the gaps in the steps or to look through a keyhole, they might catch a glimpse of a filthy, hunched figure hunkered down on top of a pile of child-sized bones. Yep, that's a very effective image. Good job. Yes, and not only that, he also had a raw-bloodied scalp that gives him his name. And if you meet his eye, a strong, large hand will flash out and snatch up his unfortunate victim to be devoured, adding their bones to his pile. Incredible. This is a very effective myth. Yes. And uh, not just peeking into places that they shouldn't, children also who used bad words or disobeyed their parents were said to suffer a similar fate with bloody bones just like venturing out of his dark hiding place to find the culprit and grab him. Oh, no. Someone said piss and bloody bones is really going to come after him. Yes, it is. It's truly wild. Um, my my personal favorite in the United States, at least, um, as we talked about before, the raw head and bloody bones are actually two individual creatures, kind of like you created before, Amanda, where they are either two separate creatures or they are two separate parts of the same monster. So raw head is specifically like a skull that has been stripped of skin that bites its victims, while bloody bones is a dancing headless skeleton that accompanies him and then sometimes bloody bones throws raw head after his victims and then goes hum nom 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 
Yeah, it's a real like combo move in a video game mm-hmm. uh, that uh, I don't want being thrown to me. The last thing I want to say about Bloody Bones is, it, particularly this is an American story, but Bloody Bones is said to punish gossips by taking their heads. All right. I, I think that the removing the head is a very useful consequence for like cursing, gossiping, listening to secrets, and then presumably retelling them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I that I get. Yeah. And I, I think it's like also a child and parent privacy thing where it's like, do not look into our room. We are doing things. The door is closed for a reason. Yeah, there's no iPads yet. We can't give you screen time. Uh, we gotta we gotta start sort of enforcing some boundaries here. Go read a book, child. So uh, to finish us off, I want to talk about kind of the psychology behind boogeymen, like we talked about in this episode. So like where they come from in terms of parenting and like their effects, basically. So when the boogeyman and bogeys in general were first starting to be used, like, as I said, in the 1500s, though possibly earlier, part of their usage made a lot of sense. Like there were a lot of environmental threats and dangers that children needed to be kept away from. And nursery bogeys were used as a way to warn children about those things. However, the more modern day boogies and bogies aren't monsters the way that they used to be. We grew up, Amanda, with like stranger danger, with uh, men in vans with candy. And more modernly, we see a lot the like threat of human trafficking and kind of the urban legends that surround that. But at the end of the day, they really do like serve the same purpose, right? So Scientific American did a really interesting piece on what's the boogeyman, which I think Mm. really sums it up nicely. So I'm just going to like quote them because they did a fantastic job, which is, The boogeyman is not accidental. It must be triggered. And because of this, it can be controlled, or rather, it can be overcome. It's great if you never commit a transgression that attracts its attention, but if you do, you'll have to face it alone. And there's a reason for that. Up until the point that we meet the boogeyman, our parents are a great force in our lives. They typically reconcile most issues for us. But the boogeyman tends to come when they aren't around, or they are powerless to stop it. That's because this is the moment when we need to stand up and assert ourselves as members of the social order. We need to indicate our wrongdoing. It is only by understanding our missteps and accepting ownership for them that we can vanquish the boogeyman. It is the first reconciliation that we manage, a danger that we face and conquer. And they go on to talk about how that's specifically around the like, two to three year range where is a milestone of being like oh my actions have consequences and like realizing that as a like developmental mental thing for children is extremely important which is why these kind of like boogeyman stories were used for a lot of cultures around the world and specifically for children fascinating and one of my favorite genres of your urban legends that you conspirators have written in with are as you become parents or have friends who have kids or get in a position of caretaking kids, what you find yourself retelling and parroting. Because, you know, it is those stories that suddenly in the moment you're like, oh, wait, I better tell you why the dark is scary or under your bed is scary. So you don't reach under there and then topple out of the bed when you're in your big girl bed and the mm-hmm. there's no more sides to your crib. It is a technology. Storytelling and, and narrative is how we create and enforce and transgress the boundaries of society. And I could not be more fascinated to hear from folks about the sorts of bogey and boogeyman stories that they grew up with uh, or perhaps didn't and what your reflections are on that now. Yeah. And I think it's like really interesting, too, because as we have modernized the boogeyman, we have definitely gone away from like 
oh, you know, a scary monster that only children would believe in. And now we have gone kind of like much darker where it's like full ass adults hear these stories of like boogeymen, quote unquote, where we're talking about, you know, like child snatchers and human trafficking and like guys with candy and and stuff like that. Those are like very human monsters. We have gone away from the supernatural boogeyman and we've created this kind of boogeyman that could be anywhere, not just in the dangerous places. And I think that's like really interesting. And playing to societal biases and societal fears. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not lurking in the reeds anymore, but instead lurking in the malls and things like that. But I think in one way it updates to reflect the sort of terrain of modern life. Mm -hmm. Uh, In many ways, things are safer. We have fences. We have safety standards. We have, you know, ways that farms are are not integrated with society as much, nearly as much anymore. So in a way, it's a modern myth for a modern time. And I think that this will open up even more uh, thought as we do our urban legend episodes about uh, the purpose of some of these myths beyond just kind of titillating and scaring your friends in middle school. So next time that you think you hear something go bump in the night and you remember a story that your parents told you. Oh, no. Remember, stay creepy. Stay cool. Stay cool.